Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Roll the Quadcast, a Blogger So Dear podcast where little old Charlie Brown is still trying to kick that football. Blogger So Dear is the go-to website for the best independent analysis of Wake Forest athletics. Hello and welcome to another edition of Roll the Quadcast. My name is Riley Johnston and as always I am joined by my uh, brilliant co-host Robert Reinhardt. Rob, how are we doing this weekend? I'm doing fine. You're far too kind and and untrue with that introduction, but good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, always good to be here, and it's another uh, another Sunday, so we're just here to hang out. And uh, we got a good show coming up for you guys today. We've got mainly some talk about the first football scrimmage uh, that took place yesterday, and we've got some Olivier Saar uh, conversation as well on the basketball front. Uh, he represented his country at the FIBA Under-18 European Championships uh, over the past two weeks, and he did so pretty well. Um, and we will get to that a little bit, and probably... Probably, if we have time, we will take a look at the final three games on the schedule at Syracuse, NC State, and Duke, um, the latter both taking place in Winston-Salem. We are going to get to those last week, but we obviously had a special guest, Bobby Hoekstra, on. And uh, we want to kind of take the time now to thank everybody because we had a great listening base last week, and uh, we, we hope you enjoyed that. And it turns out, as Rob pointed out on Twitter, that uh, people actually like listening to uh, guys who are on the team uh, talk about Wake Sports as opposed to us, so uh, we'll keep that in mind as we move forward and try to get other guys in here to mix it up, and uh, Bobby made it pretty clear that he would love to come back on the show, so hopefully after we get into a basketball season, he can provide some expertise, but um, I, I thought he was a great addition, and it, we got a lot of great feedback as well, so um, let's go ahead and get started on uh, the scrimmage talk. Wake Forest held their first fall scrimmage uh, yesterday, August 5th, and the, the season is actually just a mere three and a half weeks away so we're getting there Rob uh, what were your impressions from the uh, I guess from a statistical outlook as well as the quotes that the coaches had uh, based on the uh, the game yesterday well I, I guess my impression as it typically is with a Wake Forest football team is that the defense was was very strong and the offense though it's improving um, and had some some good spots I think um, still left a little bit to be desired. The, the defensive line was, was very good. Clawson said it was the defense's best performance of the entire fall camp. Um, and if you look at some of the some of the offensive numbers, while they are going against a, a very good defense and have certainly improved, I think they still leave a, a decent amount to be desired in terms of uh, some rushing averages as, as well as, you know, passing completion percentage and, um, you know, just, just overall yards yards and yards per attempt. So I, I think, once again, we're going to be stronger on defense than on offense, and it's just going to be a matter of how good can our offense be, how much can they catch up so that we don't need to win these very low-scoring games and our offense can hopefully help us win a few games this year. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but the defense is still seemingly very far ahead of the offense. And while it was a scrimmage, and in this format, the quarterbacks can't, after they're touched, or I don't even think it's two-hand touch, I think if they are tagged by the defense, then they are um, 
counted down immediately. But the, the defense still managed to rack up nine sacks against the offense, uh, offensive line. And while I think they ran 96 plays, if the um, official website is correct, that t- a sack on 10% of your plays, uh, 11, 9% of your plays is inexcusable. So that's something that has to be worked on. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of hoping the offensive line would, would take a turn this year and start providing some good blocking. And obviously I'm not trying to jump the gun or anything because we have a very, very good defensive line. Um, but it's a little disheartening to hear that there were all those pre-snap penalties, which you kind of expect. But the sacks, that, that's just – that's not good. Um, obviously all of these uh, scrimmages, practices are zero-sum games. If, if the defense plays well, the offense doesn't play well. Uh, specifically, if the defensive line plays very well, which it sounds like they did, the offensive line obviously is on the, the receiving end of that. Uh, Rob, can you give a little bit of, uh, I guess, insight on the quarterback situation specifically? Because as we know, Kendall Hinton has been named the starter. Um, he was the starter last year before his season-ending injury against Delaware. Uh, it, it seemed yesterday Wolford may have gotten the, the better of Hinton if we're looking directly head-to-head. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, as, as you said, Hinton has been taking all of the first reps with the uh, with the one, so Wolford has been getting some of those reps in practice. But in, in terms of you know statistics, Wolford clearly got the better end of of the two yesterday. Now again, difficult with the caveats that you mentioned, and also can be a little difficult in terms of a lot of you know mixing and matching of. Do you have? Are you playing with the ones or with the twos or the threes? Are you going against ones, twos, and threes of the death stretch? So a little tough. But even with those caveats, Wolford 14 for 15 for 131 yards, two touchdowns, um, including a nice 37-yard pass to Scotty Washington. Um, not the best numbers in terms of of running. Uh, Hinton definitely did better there with with eight carries for for 55 yards. But Hinton was just seven for 12. Uh, for 33 yards and in, in sack three times with a lawn of nine. So uh, definitely not what you want to see. We've heard some good things about him, the performance in, in the fall camp. So maybe it was just a bad day, but, um, you know, maybe we have ourselves a quarterback competition on our hands. We'll, we'll see who, who we roll out there, um, you know, early on in the season. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? It's kind of interesting. We, we've seemingly had this go on for the last two years, uh, especially given the injuries to Wolford and Hinton. They have each had time to show exactly what they're made of. Um, Wolford, obviously, we have a better idea of what his ceiling is, what his floor is. And in assessing these two guys, based on what I've seen over the past few years, I think Wolford has the, the higher floor for sure, but definitely has the lower ceiling. Uh, Wolford obviously has the speed that he has. I mean, he broke, has broken multiple long touchdown runs. Uh, he has good straight line speed, but he has nowhere near the elusiveness that Kendall Hinton has. Um, but we, we know that Hinton also struggles a little bit with intermediate and short passes. He's got a great arm. He, he can throw the ball downfield. He can uh, tuck the ball under and run and make guys miss. But a lot of times in these offenses, especially when you have a defense as good of as uh, Wake Forest has been the past couple of years and figures to be this year, uh, top 30, I would guess, nationally. Uh, you need guys that can check down, make plays, make good throws, make good out routes, stuff like that. Kane can hit and do that. that. That's the question that that we don't know. So while Clawson continues to say that Hinton is the number one, uh, at some point if the it continues to trend in this direction um, – it's the same thing we've been talking about. Do we go with a two-quarterback system like Duke's been doing? Um, 
that kind of lends itself to some other problems. You're looking behind, uh, trying to figure out the guy behind you coming off the bench. If you have a bad throw, it makes you tentative. And, you know, I'm kind of against the two-quarterback system because I'm of the belief that if you have two quarterbacks, you have zero quarterbacks. So I think you need to pick a guy and stick to it. But we're still trying to figure out who that guy is. Um, but but right now, Hinton is still in the driver's seat. He's still the starter. Um but 14 for 15 for 131 yards and two touchdowns, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, and it's hard to discredit that, especially against a defense that we know is very good. Uh, whether or not – there's always a lot of mixing between first, second, third team guys uh, in these scrimmages. So it's it's always tough to get a, a true read on who Wolford was going against or, you know, was he playing against mainly second and third team guys or since he is, I guess – the second quarterback, uh, whereas Hinton is going up against uh, the number one guys, or is it a good mix for both of them? Um, it's a little early to tell, but we'll see. So I, I'm going <laughs> to – something we'll keep an eye on, and, uh, you know, hopefully one guy differentiates himself and moves forward at the starter. Uh, one thing that I thought was pretty interesting was the, the running – moving to the running back situation. We've got Matt Colburn. We've got Cade Carney. Those two guys are established. Carney and Colburn only combined for seven carries for 60 yards, and Colburn had 42 on one of those. So uh, it was pretty clear the staff took yesterday to try to – see what Christian Beal and Arkeem Bird bring to the table. Rob, based on what you've seen so far, do you think there's a clear-cut guy who is making himself known to the staff to be the third running back on the, the roster coming into this year? You know, I, I still think, you know, there, there's opportunity for both. I would say Bird is probably the guy right now, but, but Beal, I think, is doing a nice job. Local kid has the ability to, to make guys miss. Um, and was an enrollee in, in the spring, so he was able to participate in all-season conditioning and spring practices. So he's, he's not just getting there, though Bird's been in the program uh, for over a year now, so he, he's also experienced. I would say, you know, it sounds like Bird is probably the guy, Clawson's talking about him finally being healthy, um, and, and that's what we need. Colburn um, and Carney, I know Carney had the big, you know, 50-55 yard touchdown run against Duke last year and a phenomenal performance and a good running back. But we need somebody who is an absolute burner. And, and Colburn and Carney are not those guys. So they are, you know, good, good, solid, productive running backs. Um, I think Bird can be that guy. I think Beal can also be an interesting guy in terms of one thing that impresses me about him is his ability to catch. So if we go with some more swing passes out of the backfield, uh, some check downs, I think he could have an opportunity there. Um, you know, do, do you have any other, you know, key takeaways on the running back situation. Another thing, too, is, um, you know, just going to need the offensive line to, to keep getting better and, and providing for these guys. Yeah, I think Bird. The, the thing that I'm excited about is it seems like we finally have some guys who have breakaway speed, whether that be Arkeem Bird, Christian Beal, or Greg Dortch, who had a five catch yesterday for 22 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I've heard a lot of really good things about Greg Dortch over the last year or so, and uh, I think he's going to be a guy that steps in, takes over that you know kind of slot receiver. You can alternate him from running back, wide receiver, and that's kind of the the mold that I see Christian Beal taking on. If we're looking purely at a depth chart and uh, I'm going to try to put together uh, an updated depth chart this week so everybody has a, an idea of where we are. Uh, based on the coach's comments, we, we can take away um, a few things and figure out, you know, who's going where now that we are into the fall. There have been some injuries, uh, especially Arkeem Bird has been uh, plagued by some nagging injuries as well, so that's something to keep an eye on. But if we're looking purely at the running back position, I think Bird may have the inside route as the quote-unquote third running back, but I think Beal's uh, – 
ability to both catch the ball and line up out at the slot will get him a lot of playing time as well. So I'm really excited about Beal, Bird, and Dorch and the speed that they can have on the field because we've been missing uh, some burners for a few years now. We've had some guys that we thought might fill in there, but whether it be injuries or just never got out to that uh, the point where we needed them, we've lacked that speed. So if we can take these guys and then if they can supplement Colburn and Carney, who we know are they, they like to run between the tackles, they're lower their head and run them over, we could have a lot of a good punch up the middle and a lot of uh, plays that can stretch out to the side. And I know watching uh, a lot of the film that Dave Clawson liked to run at Bowling Green. He liked to extend the boundaries and get the ball to running backs and wide receivers in motion, get it out to the side and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, so if we can now have the punch of Colburn and Carney inside, and then we can spread it out and get George Beal Bird uh, on the perimeter and get them upfield, which doesn't allow the defense to just stack 8-9 in the box, which has been a problem in the last couple of years. But I guess we'll see there. And it's also interesting at the receiving spot that Sage Surratt, he called uh, four passes for 32 yards. So it's going to be, it's going to be fun to see if uh, he, he is able to keep the red shirt or a coach is going to have to play him. Uh, I know in the past he mentioned that he, wa- he doesn't really want to play Surratt to burn his red shirt. But if a guy's playing well enough to do that, then, he, then he, he's going to do it. So that's something interesting to keep an eye on. And the comeback of Stephen Claude, obviously at the wide receiver position, maybe cast a little more doubt on that and it could preserve the red shirt. But, hey, I want the best guys on the field. So if that's, if that's Surratt, if that's Claude, then, then get them both out there. Um, but – I mean, once again, the the offense has a long way to go. And overall, what do you what do you see the identity being for the offense this year based on uh, the personnel that we have? Are we going to be a run first team that tries to get the ball down the field on occasional deep balls? Uh, you know, what are you thinking that our uh, mentality is going to be on that side of the ball this year? You know, Clawson always always talks about ex- the need for ex- explosive plays, and that really is what we need. It, it's you know, if you look at the best offenses, um, a lot of times it's, it's not these long sustained drives. That's ridiculously hard, hard to do. You need, um, you need chunk plays of, of 20, 30, 40 yards. And, and we did that against Temple. A, a lot of the drives we had, we had a big pass to, to Barry Hines, a big pass to Cam Siren, and a number of, uh, of big plays. So that, that's the kind of stuff we need. I mean, I think we are going to look to be a run first team, you know, feed feed Cade, feed Colburn, uh, but then hopefully mix in Bird Bird getting some some longer runs. And I think in terms of the passing game, I think we're going to look for some of those short to intermediate throws. But I think a guy like Greg Dortch, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about his possibility. I think he's a guy who could who could you know make some guys miss. And while the ball doesn't travel that far in the air, um, hopefully he can you know, get get a great deal of yards after catch. I think Scotty Washington's an interesting player. Uh, Les Johns has, has been saying that he's had a very good camp, and he, he backed that up with his performance in, in the scrimmage the other day, two catches for 47, including that 37-yard touchdown pass from John Wolford. So that's guy, 6'5", um, pretty highly regarded out of, out of high school. And, you know, he has the tools. You would see him last year make some really good catches, but – um, sometimes drop some more basic ones. So hopefully he can just become more consistent. Um, so I do think we're going to look and, you know, probably improve our passing attack uh, from last year. But, it's you know, last year we thought we were going to be better at passing, and, and we weren't that much better. So uh, another year pretty much returning the same group of guys, 
but infusing with Dorch and Surratt, as you mentioned, um, really inexcusable if we aren't, you know, a decent amount better. Right, and, you know, going off of the first thing you said there about uh, needing to be more explosive, Wake Forest has really not been very good at winning the explosiveness battle when we have uh, especially been in conference. And not to get too much into the uh, advanced stats, but there is a very similar, the four factors of Ken Pomeroy, which we uh, talk about frequently on here for basketball. Bill Connolly had the five factors for football, and uh, I can – throw something up this week if people are interested in that uh, and, and what it means. But basically, it's explosiveness, efficiency, dry finishing, field position, and turnover battle. And the most important is explosiveness battle. If you win the explosiveness battle, you win the game 86% of the time uh, looking at stats from the 2013 football season. And he has done some follow-up work over the last few years as well. And, and those numbers hold. The most important indicator of whether you're going to win is whether or not you have bigger plays, 20, 30, 40-yard plays. Because as you said, Rob, you know, it's very hard to consistently move the ball down the field and get those three and a half yards of a play. If you're going forward on fourth down, obviously that makes it 2.5, but most teams don't. So, and looking at Wake Forest last year, we were 93rd in the country in isolated uh, PPP, which is the explosiveness. Um, and while the defense actually was ranked 40, we limited explosive plays. We, our offense wasn't good enough, so we lost several games in the explosiveness category. And, and you would think that our success rate, our efficiency, would be good because that's what we tried uh, to uh, do, but only 35% of the time did we stay on schedule for getting the yards we needed um, to, to get, pick up the first down, which was 123rd in the country. So while our field position was good, 32nd best in the country all of last year based on where we started, uh, we we still didn't get the offense that we needed because we simply couldn't get the yards needed on first and second down, and we couldn't get the explosive plays. So that's been a problem for the last two or three years, really five years that I can remember. Um, we don't have explosive plays, and, and hopefully the the change of getting a Dorch, a Bird, a, a Beal in, that, that will result in bigger plays because, I mean, if you're going to be a team that relies on getting three and a half yards of play, you have to do it with high success, not the 35%. Uh, so, so we'll see how the offense goes. We, we know we're going to still going to be a defense-oriented team, even with Mike Elko leaving and having uh, Lee and Watson uh, depart to the NFL. But, but I, I think the offense is going to be asked to do a little bit more, and I think we've got the guys to do that. Um, so so let's, let's talk about the defense a little bit here, Rob. Obviously, the nine sacks was probably an outlier. Not only did we run more plays than it, than are in an average football game, but if you touch the quarterback, he's down, and that takes away, you know, both of our quarterbacks are pretty mobile. That takes away a pretty big asset for both of them. What was your overall impression of seeing the numbers and the guys that jumped off uh, the page at you? Yeah, I mean, I think once again, you know, as you mentioned, the defensive line is going to be going to be very good. Encouraging to see guys like like Mike Allen, highly regarded four-star um, player in our in our class last year, d- defensive end, um, get in there with a number of. We'll, we'll put sacks in parentheses, but you know, I- encouraging to see him do it in that in that situation, and definitely excited about seeing guys like Carlos Boogie Basham who. Um, redshirted last year, and, and Clawson has said a lot of really good things. Yeah, I've heard um, he's been really, con- really good. Yeah, he just needs to continue, you know, improving and, and working on his consistency, which is which is going to come. He's he's still a young player, um, but you know, def- definitely strong there. I think um, that you know, I think you had a good observation at at the cornerback uh, position, though that that you were um, 
mentioning to us before you got on here. Why, why don't you uh, share that? Because I thought that was a good insight. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we kind of expected Cedric Giles, the Mississippi State transfer, to be the cornerback uh, coming in there. Uh, but it seemed yesterday that Sang Bassey and Amari Henderson were actually starting at the cornerback position. So um, I was under the impression it would probably be Giles and then Henderson with maybe Bassey backing up and then insert true freshman here who would be the fourth guy who we still have to figure that out. We've got Tyreek Hardiman, who's a safety, could become the third guy. We, and then we've got Kobe Davis and Jasur Taylor, um, both cornerbacks vying for that fourth spot one of those two of those guys maybe even three of those guys aren't are going to have to play as true freshmen um but yeah I thought it was very interesting that Bassey and Henderson were the guys to start instead of Giles whether that is a um just a first scrimmage thing uh but Giles started in Mississippi State he was wasn't a scrub player he was a he was a good cornerback and I I assume we brought him in to start so it's very telling that maybe about the development or what uh new uh defensive coordinator Jay Salva wants to do that that, uh, Henderson and Bassey are starting so that'll be something to watch moving forward Um, the safety position uh, Rock can you give some insight as to what what we're doing at safety because we've got two great starters but beyond that what's going on yeah yeah that that's a a very interesting position for us that you know last year we we had the benefit of of being able to rotate through uh, Bates and and Cameron Glenn who who are both back this year but uh, we also had Ryan Janvion, who was able to um, – he had a lot of experience at safety. So, you know, we, we had the pleasure there, but but Travion Red uh, got hurt, going to be out a few months. So now we're having to move Thomas Dillon over to the safety spot. Uh, we also have guys like, like Luke, Luke Masterson back there. Um, also have, have Tyreek Hardeman, as you mentioned, who was a, a pretty highly regarded recruit and initially uh, committed to, to Cal. So, um, that's an opportunity there, though, again, tr- true freshman, so not, not an ideal situation, um, certainly. So I, I think that's going to be one where we really just hope there are no injuries. Bates, Bates can be an absolute playmaker, and, and Glenn, he's more of a hard hitter, but you know he's, he's improved some of his instincts, I think, definitely a, a very solid player for us um, back there. Um, but you know we, we just absolutely have to avoid injuries back there because the depth is not strong. The, the players are just uh, are very young, and there, there's a huge gap between the ones and the twos at that spot. Yeah, and Jesse Bates is probably one of the best safeties already in the ACC and one of the top guys to watch on a national level, just given his eye-popping interception numbers from last year. And interception for safety don't always – identify the best talent but he's definitely a ball hawk and he had he had these numbers in high school too that backed it up um so Bates and Glenn are very very good safeties uh, behind him we don't know who that is so it puts a lot of pressure on the front seven and those two guys to stay healthy uh Taking a look at the defensive line, though, we've, I mean, you could argue that uh, aside from Bates and maybe Glenn, our most talented four or five guys are all on the defensive line. Duke Ejiofor is probably the best player on the defense. Uh, Willie Yarberry stepping up a, a lot, too. And then you have guys like Michael Allen, the true freshman who came in. I, that's huge, and he, he's one of our highest-rated recruits ever. And, and this is a – kind of a microcosm of what good recruiting can do for you. We're used to having guys maybe sit a year, then come in a year later, and we're like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy was fairly highly rated. But you get a guy like Michael Allen in here who we beat out several Power 5 teams for. He's a guy that could come in, and uh, he, he may not start from day one, but but even on a loaded defensive line, he could come in and make an impact from day one. What, what are your thoughts about the defensive line and how they not only stack up uh, on the team, but how they stack up against the rest of a loaded ACC and nationally? 
Yeah, I think I think they're very good. That's exactly what you want out of a position. Um, they're basically uh, our safeties with, with depth. I mean, you know, Jesse Bates, Duke Edger four. I, I would say Jesse Bates is is a better player, but both highly regarded at their uh, respective positions. And then you have somebody like Wendell Dunn on the other side, um, redshirt red senior, very experienced, productive player. Uh, getting Zeke Rodney back in, in the middle, I think I think could be could be big along with Yarberry and some other guys. So, and then you have, again, a very talented prospect in Mike Allen, as you mentioned, Boogie Basham. There's also uh, Xander Zimmer who, who had an offer from Oregon coming out of high school. And, and, you know, that's somebody we haven't even talked about, but he was a highly regarded, um, regarded prospect. Um, so that's exactly what you want out of all your positions. If all of our positions were as good as the defensive line, uh, we'd be a top, you know, 25, 20 team in the country. That's, that's how good they are. The ACC is absolutely loaded, though. Uh, Clemson, obviously, unbelievable. Boston College, very good. So I think one thing that, you know, we brought this up earlier with some concerns about the offensive line play and allowing nine sacks. And, again, we will put sacks in, in quotation marks. But if, if we're allowing nine sacks and our defensive line is very good, uh, we're going to be going against a lot of very good defensive lines this year, and not just against Clemson, but toss-up games like Boston College, NC State. NC State has a phenomenal defensive line, so it's going to be unbelievably important for our offensive line to play well in those games. But uh, I, I would say uh, our defensive line is is you know certainly behind Clemson, though that's nothing to be embarrassed about. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but you know I would say we're in you know probably behind NC State, but I would say we're we're up there with you know the Boston colleges of the world. I mean I think it's just um, a really good a really good defensive line that can get a lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks and hopefully lead to some more interceptions for Jesse Bates. Yeah, and that that's primarily what the defense thrived on last year. We we applied a lot of pressure. We we got turnovers for touchdowns. I mean, Bates had five or how many interceptions did he take for touchdown? Two, two or three? Yeah, two, yeah, two yeah, I remember. Yeah, 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 Virginia. And we were we were great on third downs when we specifically third down or well really any passing down, um, whether it be second and one or whatever, our defense thrived on that. Um, because of how good our pass rush when when we could really just anticipate that they were going to throw and um, just go and attack quarterbacks. Yeah, and everything that I've heard about the new defense coordinator, uh, Sauvel, is that he is extremely aggressive. He may get beat deep every once in a while, but he loves to bring the heat. And in the four-two-five scheme that he's bringing in, that where we have Kemp at the rover position, uh, I assume Dawson will be the second guy. And then, you know, I, unsure of maybe who the third guy is at this point. Is it Sternod? Is it Monroe? Who, who is the third linebacker there? I, I know that uh, Jaquez William had a good game yesterday as well. There, there's, a, there's a lot of guys in there that, that are ready to go, and uh, that, that'll be pretty interesting to watch as well. But, but we've got a pretty loaded front seven there, so I'm excited about what we can do um, from a pressure standpoint. And if, if we have any guys out there that, that solve well, maybe sees can do some hybrid, if, if you're thinking of a 3-4 type uh, defensive front where you, you're going to get um, a guy maybe standing up on the end, that, that could – provide a lot of variance into his uh, 425 defense. So I'm excited to see what he is going to come up with, but he, he appears to be the master of disguise and given the talent that he's walking into that, that that's going to be fantastic to watch this year. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, yeah. I think we'll, somebody uh, like, like Duke. Oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say, I think somebody like, like Duke Edgefor could be perfect for that. You know, that's a lot of what he was doing out of high school and, and somebody like Chris Calhoun, uh, you'll see him 
um, you know, standing up at times and, and also can rush the, uh, rush the quarterback. So I, I think those are, those are two guys who, who could play well into some of those disguise roles that you mentioned. Yeah, the guy that really sticks out is Duke Ejiofor, and his game against Duke last year was one of the best games I've ever seen from a defensive end that I've been to live, and we were basically just flipping him on to the weakest um, outside lineman in the entire second half. Like, every play, he was just picking out the weak spot and beating him. So I think Salva will try to thrive on an individual matchup, especially with Ejiofor, and the fact that we have guys like Calhoun, we have guys like Mike Allen, some other defensive ends that can come in and play set position – that will allow Edge Ford to kind of move around. I, I think that is going to be very big in disrupting uh, the, the opposing offense and getting to the quarterback. So um, it's still early. There will be other scrimmages. The first game against Presbyterian is in three weeks coming up, I believe. So it's August. Yep. Looking at calendar. From today. 25 yep. days August from today. 30. Three and a half weeks. Yep. August. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. So we'll have a couple more scrimmages, and th- then it's game time, and it, it kind of rolls up on you. There are no exhibition games uh, in, in college football, although you could possibly argue that Presbyterian may be an exhibition game. Uh, but but we have to win. we got to get that win, and uh, it sounds dumb because we're probably four-and-a-half, five-touchdown favorite, but, but that's a game we have to win. You can't come out of the gate slow, um, and that's what these scrimmages are for. So hopefully we keep improving, um, and as we get a little closer, we will uh, we'll get that depth chart out this week, and and we'll continue to discuss it and kind of talk about position battles. Uh, I would urge anybody who doesn't, if you don't necessarily can't get to practice, can't watch uh, stuff like that, because um, we don't always get to practices, we don't always go to scrimmages and stuff, really read what the coaches have to say um, about each player, because that's where you pick up a lot of stuff. Sure, they can blow smoke from time to time, but if you hear him say, hey, so-and-so made a couple of nice plays, that means in his head that guy stuck out. There are a lot of guys on the football team, so if he is you know, spitballing and a question is asked, what true freshman stuck out? Who stuck out in the linebacker position? It immediately just goes straight in his head to, oh, yeah, I remember he made that play, and we'll have to go watch the tape. But, you know, the linebacker so-and-so made a good play. So I think that gives a rare insight into kind of what the coaches are thinking about what they've seen before they can go back and analyze the tape, which which plays into a lot of that. So really read the quotes that are listed on the official side. If you see any interviews with the coaching staff, be sure to watch those, kind of see their mannerisms as they talk about certain players, because you can discern a lot, even though a lot of smoke's blown, you can get some stuff there. Um, so I think I think that's enough on, on the on the football front here uh, I, I think most people are that are listening are probably more interested in that right now uh, since the season starts before basketball but for now we're going to switch over a little bit to um, Olivier Sara the true freshman he played in the FIBA under 18 team for France uh, over this past week and it actually wrapped up today France was eliminated earlier this week by Spain in a very close game in the quarterfinals and, and France is obviously a very good basketball team as noted in the article we wrote last week Sar was probably the fourth or fifth option on the team uh, from an offensive standpoint and interestingly enough top target in 2018 Jalen Horde also was on that roster but due to a sprained ankle he was not able to play in the tournament um, Rob I don't know how much you were able to watch this, but uh, what are your overall impressions just of, of Sar as a player and what you thought? Because I, I watched a few games, but I kind of want to hear uh, what, what your thoughts on Sar are and what your expectations of him are for this year. Yeah, no, um, I, I only got a chance to watch, but but so much. But I, I think one thing I found very encouraging is that th- this is a, a very big tournament. So a lot of the national 
recruiting analysts like Evan Daniels of, of Scout and some other people are, are actually over there for this tournament. I've seen a number of encouraging tweets from, from major guys talking about the play of Olivier Saar. And, you know, they're not just tweeting about it because he's playing in that game. They, they don't have to tweet about every game they see. Uh, they're coming away genu- genuinely impressed uh, with his motor and athleticism. I, I do think he's going to be a, able to um, be very fluid in terms of, of running up and down the floor, which can be very helpful for us. Um, with, with the way we like to push the ball. I mean, I think one thing that could be a problem is that he he needs to work on his strength. And fortunately, uh, we have a gentleman by the name of Ryan Horn uh, who, who will take care of that, take care of that for him. And he also has a phenomenal big man coach in Danny Manning, arguably the best in the country. So I think he's going to be a little bit raw early on. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the ways he's going to score are going to be in terms of uh, just being active uh, he's probably, as you mentioned, being like a fourth or fifth option. I don't think we're going to call plays for him necessarily. Uh, so I'd probably limit some expectations this year, but I think he can be a good option um, in terms of depth for us. But I, I would love to hear your impressions as someone who's who's watched, you know, not just highlights, but um, most of most of games where he plays. So you can really see him play in and play out and not just um, what, what, you know, the best plays were and that gets seen all over YouTube and things like that. Yeah, and, and that I was able to watch, I believe, three full games that they played over the last week and then a, a few highlights of his other games. And the first thing that I will say is I am obviously not a professional scout, but I have watched a lot of basketball, so I have a, a tendency to know what, what translates well into the ACC since I've been watching it for so long. And, and the first word that comes to mind for Olivier Saar is, is without a doubt raw. He is very raw, but he is raw with, with a – an abundance of talent. He does a lot of the small things that you absolutely want. He runs the court well. He has a high motor. He is constantly and consistently setting screens, rolling off. He knows where to be. He has good ability to get in positioning. And let me back up a little bit. The team that he was playing against, one game against Finland, he was probably six inches taller than the guy who was guarding him. So it wasn't necessarily an overly impressive display of, oh, I can post up the 6'5 guy. But but he, he seemed to have impressive footwork as far as what he needed to do uh, uh, to get in there. And, and it's pretty funny. The things that he has are, are things that I would say aren't exactly teachable. He knows where to be. He has a good knack of to, how to get there. Uh, he floats well defensively. He I think he he has the feet and the lateral quickness to defend the pick and roll well, uh, which is something that we have lacked in the past. And, and I promise I'm not going to compare every guy that comes through to say, oh, he looks like John Collins or he looks like the next John Collins, because that's not what I'm saying at all. But he runs the court like John Collins did. He's consistently able to fill the lanes correctly, and he also gets back on defense when he needs to. So to be a 6'11 guy, he, he's very, he has good athleticism, and he had a couple of huge plays, including a blocking at Spain in the final minute where they were on a breakaway in a – three-point game, I think, and the Spain guy went to the rim on a fast break, and Sargent met him at the rim and sent it back to about half court. I mean, he, he clearly got a long way to go. I mean, it was an absurd block. I, I'll, I'll, I'll retweet this from the Roll the, uh, Roll the Quadcast uh, Twitter feed, but, but it was a pretty absurd block um, that, that turned the game. So he's got really good timing, and, and of course they wound up losing, but it wasn't Sarge's fault. The thing that stuck out to me, he, he managed to continue to beat extremely efficient uh, in his minutes. So he played maybe 15 to 20 minutes each game, but he, he, I think in one game he had seven points on one shot in 20 minutes. And and this wasn't really a, uh, 
it wasn't a John Collins where he gets the ball and he just scores a lot, but every time Sar touched the ball inside, he he was he was a pass first center, if that makes sense. He would get the ball and immediately look to pass out, pass to the corners because they would collapse and double team. And he has a very good vision as far as knowing where the ball needs to go. Um, this year, I don't necessarily know if he can consistently play against ACC teams. He, he has a lot of strength issues. He needs to become really more aggressive. He has the arms to and the knack to know where to be, but he, he doesn't have the aggressiveness to do it yet. He needs to learn to go get the rebounds when he's positioned well. And he, quite frankly, he could have slammed over several people, and John Collins would have done that. And Sar had the arms and the hands to do so. He just, for some reason, he would get it and then pass out. So I think the staff, just like they've done with the big that have come in so far, and especially Colin, they will give him an, an aggressiveness to, to go and, and attack the basket. And once he learns that, since he's got the other tools in place, the high motor, the, the hands, the knack to know where to be, the things that aren't necessarily teachable, I think he will be a very good player for us. Could he be a stretch four for us this year? He has something that I think he could pair well with a Doral more because he could be out of the out of the lane and, and maybe set the screens while Moore operates inside. But I don't think he's going to get a ton of minutes at the four. I would guess he probably plays five to eight minutes a game, and he's primarily in there maybe in defensive situations and stuff like that. Um, so I think he, as you said, Rob, he's a player down the road that could be very good with us, and, and he is a perfect guy to bring in and let Ryan Horn and Danny Manning coach up. Uh, if you if you were asking for a big man with certain skills and certain uh, what they need to have coming in, and if, if they didn't have certain things, then Sar is the guy that I want in there. So I'm very high on him. Whether or not he plays well and uh, contributes a lot this year leaves a lot of questions. That's up in the air. But I think he's going to be a big player uh, moving forward. Um, and, and as we talked last week, it's still unclear what we're going to do at the four because Dino Smitoglu is uh, no longer with the team. So Melo Eggleston – Donovan Mitchell, Olivier Saar, somebody has to step in and play the four. Um, I, I don't think there's any more clarity. I'm sure the staff is still going after guys, um, whether it's Thompson or Whitman. But it, we're getting late in the game here. And at this point, I think we, as a fan base, maybe just need to prepare to play um, with, with what we've got. And for the out-of-conference out play, I think it'll be fine to slide Brown into the four, maybe Washington Mitchell for a little bit, um, spelling Eggleston if he becomes the, the primary guy. In the ACC, I just don't know if that's going to work. But we're going to have to figure it out. So um, do you have any other thoughts on uh, anything I said about SAR or, or basketball in general at the four or the five or wh- how we're going to negotiate and navigate that? I think one thing that you said that's, that's interesting is, you know, in terms of, of running the court and comparing that to John Collins, I think, you know, John Collins got a number of, I say easy, he, they were easy baskets because, you know, he worked hard and he ran hard and he beat his man down the floor. Um, I, I yep. think that could be an opportunity, as you mentioned, for Saar this year. He's coming in, probably going to play limited limited minutes, um, probably cap it at 10 um, as, as an average, as you said. But that's an opportunity where if you're coming in, you're playing limited minutes, you can really go in the minutes that you're in there. So if if he has an opportunity to meet his, his man down the four, um, and Brian Crawford is, is a very good passer and very good at, at some of those lead passes and rim runs. I think that could be an opportunity to get some sort of some quick and cheap points there uh, for Sar and hopefully get his confidence going. And then, again, as you mentioned, the, the combination of, of Manning and, and Horn. This, this can be a big development program, I think. That's a lot of the – that's the video you saw that, that Manning tweet out and put on his Instagram last week with, with Dinos and John Collins. And those are guys who came in 
and and they got a lot they got a lot better they got much better physically um and and they were really brought up to be talented i think that's something that really our program is going to need to do we can bring in some players who are already very very good uh, like a sean d brown um and, and even somebody like crawford but i i think sar is a perfect player to mold as, as you mentioned um, so I, I'm definitely yeah. excited about his his future. I think you know the 2017-2018 season maybe not going to be great, but I, I think the future is very bright and um, definitely a great player to have in our program. Yeah, and I think he's going to play out of necessity. We have 11 scholarship players, and I think what three over the six eight threshold, maybe a couple right at the six eight. Mitchell's probably six eight. Sunday Okeke is six eight, but I don't know how much he either one of those guys is gonna play. Eggleston might be six seven, six eight. But you know, Sar is probably a, a typical five, but we may ask him to float around a little bit if we're gonna go twin towers because he can move out. There's gonna be some feaster famine in his game and he will be frustrating I think to watch. But his ceiling is very high. He does a lot of things that you want a guy to do and he if he is coachable then I I I know Manning can turn him in into a really good player. So while he may average what four and two, four and three this year, I think he might take a very big jump um, his sophomore and possibly junior year as well because he's got all the intangibles there. So I'm excited. I don't know how much he'll contribute this year, but you know, he'll be fun to watch. And I think it's a great uh, talent assessment. And it was a good late grab by the coaching staff in this uh, recruiting class. Um, we got about five minutes left here, so let's instead of talking about the final three teams on the schedule individually, we've got at Syracuse, uh, State, and Duke. Um, coming into these three games, it's very likely we're going to have to win two, maybe all three to make a bowl. Uh, can you just kind of summarize these three teams as to uh, how, how they look compared to the te- other teams Wake Forest face? Are they in the middle, on the lower end, on the higher end? Um, what should our expectations be uh, for these three teams? I mean, um, and, and looking at some of the advanced stats real quickly, expectations for these three teams are that uh, I think we'll be a slight favorite against Duke and, and a slight underdog against Syracuse and NC State, looking at uh, a little bit over 50% win probability for, for Duke and about, you know, 40 to 45 for each of NC State and Syracuse, which compared to, you know, the games against Florida State and Clemson where we're closer to, to 10, 10% or so, I mean, these are far more winnable. Hopefully – uh, we only have to win – well, hopefully we don't have to win any of these games in order to make a bowl. But I don't think that's very realistic. Um, if, if we need to win all three, I think we're in, in serious trouble because I think NC State's a really talented team. But um, if we only have to win two of the three, uh, I won't say I like our chances, but they're certainly, certainly reasonable that, that we can do that. And it's going to be good to get to this part. It's just hopefully we still have something to play for and hopefully – uh, we still have enough bodies after we get through that brutal middle part of the schedule. Yeah, and if we can get into this game with four or five wins, get into these final three games with four or five wins, then I think we can grab one or two to get into a bowl. We got lucky. We caught Syracuse last year literally in a hurricane where their passing game was not able to really get the ball get off the ground at all. Um, so the 28-9 to nine is a bit – of a misnomer, especially since we scored a late touchdown. I know they'll be seeking revenge there. That'll be tough. State's a very tough team, and I know Duke wants to get it back. And not just this year. State and Duke and Syracuse, too, are big games because the latter two are in-state. But these are direct recruiting foes. So anytime we get a win over these guys, uh, it's big because you can point to guys that you're recruiting and say, hey, we beat Duke this year, we beat State, we beat Syracuse, or at least beat two of them. So aside from just getting the six wins, it's also big to – get that head-to-head victory over them. Um, 
based on the schedule, that could be tough to do, but we we will see, and uh, hopefully we can uh, have something to play for in those three games. But uh, next week, we are actually going to start, since we we will have about three episodes, I believe, before the regular season starts. We're going to focus on offense, defense, and special teams and kind of break it down. Um, and we also cover any basketball or breaking news that kind of comes up. But uh, we'll, we'll take a look at some position battles, uh, players to watch, names to watch, uh, maybe get into some schematics and some uh, advanced statistics, which we tend to like to do. Um, but, Rob, what, do you have any uh, parting shots or closing words uh, for this week and uh, to Deacon Nation? Uh, just thank you, thank you as always for listening, and um, you know, look, looking forward to getting closer to the season, really breaking down uh, our, our roster in more detail um, starting next week. Absolutely, and we'll have some uh, interesting articles this week. Like I said, we're going to try to get the depth chart up. We'll uh, try to take some uh, snapshots of position battles, some players that that we want to see, some players that you may not know about. We got we talked about some of the true freshmen, but there are a lot of other players who don't get a ton of recognition that could be critical players for the season. Um, and we'll, as always, we'll cover news as it comes. But uh, we appreciate everybody listening. We uh, decided to go 45 minutes because we spent a little more time on the scrimmage than we uh, thought originally but glad you all stuck around for it and uh as always go deeks go deeks